KZSU Stanford. I'm Mark Molino. This is the Henry George Program, the show about housing, politics, policy, and so much more. Today the program, Spotlight on Cupertino, we have on J.R. Fruin. He is a lifelong Cupertino resident and one of the founding members of a new group, Cupertino for All. We'll hear all about that. Right about now. Welcome, JR. Thank you. So we have touched on Cupertino and other episodes of the show, but this is for the first time someone who lives in Cupertino. Uh, in fact, someone who's born in Cupertino. Uh, so this is this is exciting to you know, get some real Cupertino action here. Uh, so this is all up, uh, all Cupertino. Uh, a lot, a lot of Cupertino in the news lately. Uh, how, how do you feel about all this attention Cupertino's getting? It's definitely not the the right kind of attention if you're uh, if you're living in the city. <laughs> well, I guess uh, so. The group you are involved with this is a uh, this is a group that's just getting off the ground. This is uh, Cupertino for All. Yes. So uh, yeah, just a little bit about you know who Cupertino for All is, and yeah, you know, I guess what they're what they're up against. Yeah, so basically, Cupertino for All advocates for. Uh, you know, housing opportunity to make Cupertino a more inclusive place, something that's more vibrant, more livable, more walkable. Um, and really what we're up against there is, is a lot of what you see on the peninsula in general, but uh, maybe take that up about five notches. Uh, the opposition in, in Cupertino is very well organized, and right now they have a, a supermajority on the city council. Yeah, my, my my local, I guess when I say my, I, I live in Sunnyvale, but this show is based out of Stanford campus. So when I say, you know, local, I mean Palo Alto. They've always been kind of, I think, the extreme case around the peninsula, but I don't know. I mean, I feel Cupertino is really giving them room for the money lately. <laughs> yeah, you know, the, the arguments that arise in, in Palo Alto are sort of run-of-the-mill. They're the ones that you usually see in, in, in lots of exclusionary communities. The ones that come out of Cupertino are a lot more sophisticated. Yeah, I mean, I feel Cupertino definitely has a very colorful flair as far as it goes. We now had, even where, when he was just... Where did you get that idea? Even when he was just a council person, uh, Steve Scharf was famous all across the Bay Area for being just the kind of wildest. I mean, it, I think it's fair to say he is the closest there is to a Donald Trump of the housing scene around here, as far as just a big loud guy with strange hair who always comes up and says outrageous things. And that certainly got him in the national news this last week. Yeah, I'd, I'd say that his vice mayor, Leung Chao, would also give him a run for his money there. Yeah, she might, you know, she aligns pretty heavily with, with the actual Trump agenda. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, I mean, it's, it's, we're, 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 all, we're all liberals here in, in the Bay Area. But, uh, I mean, that's, but you get a big spectrum of, of just, you know, how loud you are about your, your nimbyism. But I guess for people who aren't aware of what we're alluding to, uh, yeah, Steve Scharf in his State of the City address last week uh, was joking, and it was a hilarious joke, uh, that they are going to build a wall around Cupertino and San Jose is going to pay for it. And, and don't forget Sunnyvale, too, apparently. Yeah, just all, all the enemies of the city, uh, which I mean, everybody on Cupertino's border. As far as, as jokes go, and this is a whole thing afterwards, oh yeah, you guys can't take a joke? <laughs> Like that's, uh, and uh, I'm part of the thing when a joke falls flat is when it aligns with a very uncomfortable truth, and the fact that Cupertino is gleefully, uh, you know, happy with you know implementing exclusionary policies, or, or is just tone deaf to that reality. You know, I, I mean, maybe Steve Scharf just didn't realize that he was giving the state of the city address. 
I mean, is that, do you think that's a good, uh, I, I guess, excuse in this context if you are just unaware that, oh, wait, oh. you know, our, our median home price is $2.2 million. No. Our rent is... No, it's three- a terrible excuse, but it is an explanation. I mean, that is one of my pet theories of just Prop 13. It just makes you blind to the world around you. I mean, I just don't know. When you talk about, I guess, you know, when you talk about the Cupertino governance, let's, before we get into this, talk about who is better Cupertino and how does it relate, <laughs> how does it relate to the Cupertino government? Well, Cupertino government is now Better Cupertino, and Better Cupertino is the Cupertino government. Um, Right now, they have uh, at least three openly acknowledged members. That includes one of their co-founders, Leong Chao, um, another uh, John Willie, who was the head of their at least nominally uh, noted 501c3 Friends of Better Cupertino, which has an active lawsuit against the city of Cupertino. Actually, has two active lawsuits against the city of Cupertino. Uh, <laughs> just, uh, one over uh, uh, the ministerial uh, approval of an application to redevelop Valco under uh, SB 35, which is a new state law enacted in 2017, and another for the Valco-specific plan. So I should actually say they have two uh, <laughs> So lawsuits it, about the same parcel of land. And as I understand, yeah, one of that was introduced by Steve Scharf as he was a sitting council person. Is that correct? No. So that's okay. a different lawsuit. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> that, for that, you have to go back to 2016. 2016 okay. um, and, and really the creation of, of Better Cupertino. Better Cupertino um, sort of formed from a, a group of, of residents who were opposed to the most recent attempt at redeveloping Valco as something other than just a 1.2 square foot, I'm sorry, 1.2 million square foot uh, retail only mall. If you're if you're a resident around there, it's pretty clear that what the residents want, at least those in Better Cupertino who are voicing this, is they want retail near them and they want zero new residents near well, them. They say that they want retail near them. Um, I guess the real question is whether they want anything at all, because if you've if you've noticed, it's not like uh, um, the real estate investment trusts out there are busy building malls across the country. They're they're doing pretty much the opposite, right? Is it, they they, so, they can't seriously say they want a dead mall next to them permanently. Yeah, I mean so. you, you can't really say that, right? <laughs> you can't really go out and, and normally speaking anyway say I'd prefer you know a, a hulking concrete wreck. I, I didn't see anyone with a sign saying "Save our dead mall," but it wouldn't have shocked me if I did. No, there there were little signs though that that said "Save our schools, no Valco rezone." So you get to the other, you know, sort of nub of 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 uh, you know the, the fear mongering that that is frequent in in this discussion. Um, some of it is understandable. You've you know come to the area for the schools in many instances, um, or you've spent an in, in, in you know exorbitant amount of money on on a home. And you're terrified that you know this investment is going to suddenly lose a great deal of value because all of a sudden there's going to be a bunch of other new houses or other things that might drag its value down. You're not just resident. You're not just a citizen. You're an investor. Yeah, yeah. And that's that's who the city is accountable to. And, and you're 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 kind of you know for for newer residents who have bought in that is an unfortunate reality and it's it's hard to break that cycle. Um, I, I don't know why for a lot of them there isn't a notion of, gee, maybe my, my home value would actually go up if I weren't next to a dead mall. But 
<laughs> um, I, I certainly understand the, the fear associated with, with the schools, except that um, that takes us to sort of the, the next part of, of what Better Cupertino frequently does, which is to you know, willfully misrepresent facts in order to suit uh, uh, the policy outcome that it would prefer. You know, CUSD, the Cupertino Union School District, which is our, our local elementary st- uh, school district, is actually suffering declining enrollment. So if we were to actually add homes uh, in the city, then you would see some reversal of that trend, um, which would be actually rather helpful considering that we are a local control funding formula district. We don't actually manage to subsist off of uh, local tax revenue. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> um, which means that we rely on per-pupil funding from the state. Mm. And uh, as the number of pupils goes down, but the number of campuses does not, yeah. And uh, as dealing with uh, uh, staffing as the result of um, collaboration with the, the union, you can see that uh, um, costs do not necessarily follow that reduction in funding. So you actually need more more kids in order to be able to to reverse that trend. Right now, uh, CUSD has about a, a $5 million hole in its budget. That's pretty significant. So, so do most cities, I guess, you have kind of incentive based upon that to hover at the same pupil mark? Because you don't want to lose funding, but you don't necessarily have to keep the funding up to at least keep your cut of it, the it, pie. It probably means that you want to be running your schools at close to capacity. Hmm, yeah. Um, that way, you your your per pupil expense is minimized relative to your per pupil income. Sure, um, and of course, you know Cupertino does you know directly, but mostly indirectly, get a lot of revenue based on the fact that they are the home of Apple. Yes, although that that money frequently does not go to um, CUSD. So if, when it comes to say their share of uh, of property taxes coming out of out of Apple, the yeah. the brand new um, Apple Park campus more commonly referred to as the spaceship, does not actually lie within the bounds of the Cupertino Union School District. It lies within the bounds of uh, Santa Clara Unified. That's interesting. So that money all goes to support a completely different school district. <laughs> so, yeah, I guess how, how... So the overlapping but not completely one-to-one school districts versus city councils, how much of the attention does that bring? Do, do you notice that? Because... It means I, that if where you're at, you you don't necessarily represent the same things as far as yeah. It's a it's a source of of confusion for a lot of people in the public because they see you know the construction going on and think oh well you know there's a whole lot of new tax revenue from that right well just eh. <laughs> to, to some things and not to others um, you know you can you can see some of the the same you know tension in one specific spa, uh, part of the town that also lies outside of, of CUSD, which is right next to, to Apple, where the, the Hampton Apartments are. Um, this area actually has an allocation of a few hundred additional homes in our uh, our current housing element. Um, Irvine Company, which owns the, the land, has not yet decided to build out these additional units for a variety of reasons we don't probably have the time to go into today. <laughs> um, but there is far less public opposition to that specific area having this extra allocation of homes because they're not in CUSD. Hmm. Interesting. Right. Those kids aren't, to the extent that any of them would have kids, they, these are, after all, smaller apartments. So um, it, it gives you kind of some data points on how much of the outrage is about the disamenities of just any people and how much has to do with the fact that they're overcrowding our schools. Yeah. That's 
I'd I'd love to see this break down because you get this this just general NIMBY rage, but you don't really see exactly you know which which bucket is it falling. That's yeah. pretty. That's the, pretty... The, the rage in Cupertino is manifold and not always overlapping. It, it's it's quite curious, and, and and yeah, you know where you live makes a difference. When you bought your home, if you bought your home, if you rent, these things all matter. Uh, uh, speaking speaking of disamenities of of people, this is uh, I think we'll 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 bring her up in a bit too. But this is something that uh-oh. Kitty Moore said on I believe <laughs> was, this, was this on next door. Yes, yes. Uh, I, I can just read. I have this in front of you. Uh, Let's ponder 4,000 residential units of Alco Shopping District catering to Apple Park, your micro-apartments. Apple tech workers are 80% male. That could result in 3,200 men living at Valco. That would increase male population 28,771 to 31,971, and the female population from 29,531 to 30,331. That's 11% increase in the male population to 0.9% increase in the female population. Continuing on, next paragraph. Will prostitution be legalized for the 3,200 males in the Valco-specific plan? Uh, bars, strip clubs? This is another one for the ERI to study. Uh, so just a wild... So I, I think this would be a marvelous passage for a study in a, a course on logic. Uh, <laughs> um, I, I don't know how you make that, that particular leap. That seems extreme. Uh, I mean, people people want to... I mean, I'm not saying they want to, but people imagine the worst. I... Worrying about a red light district in Cupertino near the Apple HQ hasn't crossed my mind. I'm I'm impressed by the imagination that goes through. It, it, it is definitely creative. Um, th- which which brings to to mind another question. Really, is this a good faith, um, you know, argument that's being laid here, or is it just, you know, something being thrown out there to scare up some opposition? I I would honestly, if you ask me personally, I would say if it sounds reasonable and persuasive, I'd say it is probably strategic. If it sounds bizarre and the work of a, of a strange, strange, uh, you know, mental approach to it, I'd say it's probably pretty earnest. <laughs> well, we, we may get to, to know more. She was recently a, a appointed to the uh, uh, planning commission. So uh... <laughs> I, I was there last night at the planning commission. I'll say in person, she does not give off. I, you know, you might imagine someone who's a bit deranged or something based upon this but i mean, actually she seems very normal in person lots of people do right yeah, your, your exactly. persona online can be very different from the one that uh, you project in in person it's a, it's a lot harder to be uh creative yeah to somebody's face yeah <laughs> and i'll say this uh, this is another impressive data point uh mayor steve sharf is banned from next door be- uh, i don't think he's banned right now no in fact oh. he he was commenting on next door today okay. Um, he had been banned at one point in the past, um, you know, for a, a variety of reasons at different points in time. He's pretty soft puppets. Well, that yeah, he was banned for a long period of time after that occurred. It, it's it's quite an interesting thing to see. Um, if you were to find his his home listed on on next door, there are all these little dots right around the front of it, which are the address indicators for. The same residence, based on GPS of one you post or something. No, no, no. They're 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 basically any time that or he that registered and put his own. He address. registered multiple times. It looks like okay. It, it, it's hard to figure out exactly what was going on there, but normally when you see these, they are for like a, an ADU. Sure. It might be behind and shares an address with the principal residence. Yeah. Um. Or it'll be done for a. a at one point in time, it was done for duplexes. 
Um, and at another point in time, you, you will find them for apartments where they just don't have the ability to, to individuate the specific unit. But if there's multiple members of the same household, they should use one dot in next door? You would think. Okay. That's how it looks for everybody else. So what exactly is going on there is definitely fishy. Fascinating. Um, one, one of the, the, the sock puppet personalities was probably the, the least creative attempt in terms of, of actually changing a name because it was uh, Stephanie Martin. Okay. One of these fake personalities. His, his Stephen Sharp's middle name is an M, it starts with an M, and okay. And of course, Stephanie is simply the feminine of Stephen. I've, I've heard that so, if you're going to if you're going to you know just ditch your identity and like live under an assumed name, you want to make sure it's close enough that if someone says it, you just instinctively respond. You know. <laughs> <laughs> so it's. I mean, if it's he, helpful for flying under the radar, right? Yeah, that's that's a hot tip I heard. But uh, I mean, I will say this. I mean, it's. City council, even when it's you know at its wildest, which I feel Cupertino is, uh, it, it's still it can be very kind of normal appearing on the outside. But the, I guess it is the professional wrestling version of of city governance. Insofar as I just, I mean, I you can get the idea that a lot of the people they want to stir up a lot of drama. And Better Cupertino is a very dramatic org. Yes, yes, yes. It's to show up in you know forty people in red shirts and. Yeah, heckle all of your opposition when they want to talk, which is what they do. And I mean, this many lawsuits being put against housing developments in your own city being made by Kitty Moore, who is now on a planning commission, Stephen Sharp's behind one, and uh, and you said the other one was against Falco was by another better Cupertino person. So he was the president of the organization in question at the time that the original filing was made in court, or at sure. least that's what the Secretary of State's documents would indicate. Yeah, um, he's listed as the the um, principal and chief executive officer uh, during that period of time. Uh, but one gets the impression that you know to borrow from the resist you know uh, terminology like this is not normal. It, it feels that way. <laughs> this is it's a weird it's a weird place. <laughs> yeah, if something strange happens, yeah, you've you've got a good chance that you can bet that that strange thing is happening in Cupertino. Unfortunately, and that's that's really not the conversation I'm sure that most people want to be yeah. having about their city. I I I love my city weird and wonderful and wacky and wonky though we may be yeah um but but this is not really the type of attention that you want to see it getting do you think people in you know the better cupertino crowd uh do you think they they want change in the abstract but they're just going to always find fault with any real change or do you think that you know inherently any change is never going to be suitable to them both that depends on which better cupertino uh, supporter you're talking to. Sure. Right. Um, they they like to project themselves as, as some sort of, you know, crowdsourced advocacy organization that it's not a membership organization, never mind all the people who show up in red shirts, never mind the people who call themselves members to the media and, and in their ballot statements and things like this. Yeah. Um, but, you know, they... they Try to be a, a relatively big tent when it comes to some issues because it's a whole lot easier to rally support if you you don't actually put your finger on a specific issue you want to um, to press on. Right? It's a lot easier to throw everything into one bucket and and say, hey, we we support all of these different things. You support one of them, so come join us. Right? But what what is absolutely off limits? What do you think you have to do to be part of the org and not be purged, as it were? 
Uh, you, you probably have to have no perceived affiliation with any developer at all. Okay. <laughs> you probably have to have never said something in, in support of any of the more recent attempts at, at redeveloping Valco. Sure. Uh, you probably cannot be a, uh, a housing supply sider. Yeah. Um, you probably cannot be somebody who wants to build any office whatsoever. Um, irrespective of what kind of office space that might be. I never heard them talk about it, but I imagine that there's a pretty strong... I imagine there's a pretty strong support for Prop 13 among all people in Better Cupertino. Well, it, it it's measured support. There are some people who have expressed some support for either a split role or something like it. Uh, that would even include Stephen Scharf. It might well, that's taxing you. someone else. When I talk about Prop 13 repeal, I talk about... <laughs> A, a full and immediate repeal. Yeah, I yeah. mean, it, it doesn't serve some of their ends. You know, when 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 Stephen Scharf says, for example, that that he would prefer to have it, you know, Prop Thirteen protections end for say, um, you know, non-residential uh, property. Mm. Well, if if you want the you know little mom and pop stores that are all along Stevens Creek to be able to stay in business, well, one of the reasons that they have artificially low rent is that well. <laughs> Their landlord isn't passing on increased costs to them because they're sort of derelict in some instances, right? That's why these things don't get redeveloped in any meaningful way. Um, the real impetus for doing so is when the property changes hands and all of a sudden you have somebody with a much bigger tax burden who yeah. needs to <laughs> offset that, um, gets rid of all the tenants, redevelops property, and it's, and it's more dense. Uh, so if you don't want to see that happen right away, then you probably need to, uh, you know, either grandfather this stuff in, which is no different from Prop 13 by itself, yep. or um, or not uh, not remove that protection. It, 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 it doesn't – it's hard to reconcile that particular position. Maybe, he, maybe it's not a sincerely held position. Sometimes it's hard to tell. Well, I think at a certain point, it's like, you know, doing business with, you know, thieves. At a certain point, you have an, a, you know, a tacit agreement, but you know backstabbing is down the line. If you're a mom and pop <laughs> retailer, yeah, you want to be friendly with the homeowners, but if they need your tax revenue and they need to protect their necks, they, I, I absolutely believe it's like, oh, yeah, send them out to, you know, send them out to high and dry. There are some people who seem to genuinely support the notion of certain types of housing, and that would be BMR. It would be supportive housing. Um, it would be, you know, BMR senior housing specifically, for purchase BMR housing, et cetera. Uh, you know, but for some people, that's also just a means for defeating anything that might be be built because you know that it can't be funded. Yeah. Right? Mayor Scharf has come down against teacher housing. Is that right? Uh, so there was a push against uh, CUSD reusing uh, one of its campuses, uh, a campus actually that was about mm, maybe a thousand feet from my front door when I was growing up, uh, Luther, which right now they rent out to, you know, a couple of other schools. And the district wanted to build teacher housing there. There's about a, you know, a lot of, of local opposition to it from people who live in its immediate vicinity and from some of the folks who were in Better Cupertino. They made common cause and uh, managed to get the district to scrap the program. Uh, well, what did they say about it? 
Well, you know, it was stuff that was for, the first stuff didn't make any sense. Save Luther School I, for what? I don't know. I, for mm. two private schools that 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 lease it, I, that doesn't make any sense to me. Well, yeah. I don't know why you would prize that as a as public land, especially if you can, you know, help out the actual public schools by, uh, um, you know, disfavoring teacher turnover by allowing them to live somewhere near, yeah, near campus. You know, God forbid that uh, that people actually live anywhere near where they work. Um, or live anywhere at all. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, the first slogan didn't make any sense, uh, but a lot of it also got down to you know local folks not wanting in, in traffic in the immediate vicinity. Some of the more common arguments that you hear about about any development writ large, right? Um, I think that the the real problem arose in in pitting the unions against each other, mm. right? Um, because there are multiple unions attached to CUSD. Uh, all the the sympathy tends to go to the teachers' union, but there are also people who work for the school district who are unionized who do things that don't involve teaching, mm. and they need to have somewhere to live too. So who gets to live there became its own issue. And then the perennial question of who's going to do this development. It's not like the district builds things on its own. It contracts this stuff out. And it certainly doesn't build housing. Usually if it's going to have anything built, it's, you know, some, you know, structure that's attached to the school, the school proper. In the 80s, there was a whole raft of, of production of guided learning centers. That was their big thing then. Um, that is, I mean, that is something of, I can definitely agree with the with the pragmatism of, okay, teachers need housing, let's have a special needs for teacher housing. But boy, this is a really scary thing to wade into where who deserves to live in your city is a political question that now we have to decide who is a worthy resident and, okay, teachers, yes, firefighters, yes, you know, school janitor, no, they can still, they can still come in from Tracy. It's like, yeah, it's, no, that is, it's that is, wild. That is, yeah, well, and, and think about how we've historically viewed all of these professions, right? Yeah. Um, you know, despite the fact that we don't give teachers nearly enough money, um, they, they certainly occupy a higher social status yeah. than the janitor. Sure. Right? Um, so it, it's not all that surprising that there would be that particular concern. And when you then see, say, some of the, the you know, the other group of, of sort of traditional exclusionary elitism that that gets to um you know comment on the these issues that that just doesn't want people of a lower social strata or economic strata yeah um involved in in anything or living in town or you know you can come here and and you can service our our cafe lattes but you can't live anywhere nearby and i'd say right? no matter who you are i mean I'd say if you aren't doing a whole lot to try to remedy it, it should really put a pit in your stomach of the fact that all these people around you working hard every day yeah. and have an extra two, three hours in a commute to have, you know, uh, what is at the lower end of the, of the paychecks in this, in this region. It's, it's incredibly yeah, yeah. gross and but, it should make people feel gross. Yeah, but that same sort of underlying, you know, Moral judgment that's being made there against this particular class of people is also being made against, by extension, the, that janitor and the other people who oh, are yeah. serving the school. Yeah, um, it's we just don't want those people here, right? Um, I, I do agree. I mean, I, I kind of respect the purity of. I don't know how much people agree with you know Mayor Scharf, but he has like gone on record of of saying uh, you know we don't owe the next generation housing. 
You know, yeah. he says like, yeah. he's like, if you don't like it, you know, you can move. No yeah. one's, no one knows your house. And his own daughter, like, has now, like, I, I believe at least at some point she was moved to the East Bay. It was affordable housing. It was commuting to the uh, Richmond district of SF uh, to teach. And yeah, I mean, it's the thing is like, if you want to be a teacher, you know, try to make something weird like that happen. Don't, you no chance of being Cupertino. I, I, you know, I don't want to wade into, into his, you know, family life. I, I don't understand what their dynamic is. But uh, I, I will say that I don't really understand the the group of folks who seem to think that they just want their kids to go move somewhere else and, and that's yeah. okay. I mean, I don't feel like snooping his family life, but he went on public record and talked about this, which is kind of – he's. He says like, "Oh yeah, this biz, this is this is the system is working. <laughs> My daughter left to the East Bay because there's no room for here. You know, this system works." Yeah, I, <laughs> it's I, wild. I, that, that, I, I don't. I just don't understand that from a a moral perspective. I don't understand it as somebody who who grew up in town and and you know, I want to see the next generation of people have the same kind of opportunities that I had growing up there. Yeah, but that's probably not going to happen. At least for one generation, because <laughs> nobody, you know, people with young families, they they really can't buy in at this point. Sure. Um, and the ones who who are making the special sacrifice to rent there uh, will probably move out after the kids have have gone through the system. Yeah, I mean, I personally would love to see not just people who are you know children of Cupertino people, but new people moving in. And I I just love the fact that. Not even that position, but saying not even our children. They should also move out if we need to make more. Yeah, I, th- I have actually seen this argument on next door from people that I thought were reasonable, and it is really very perplexing to me. Um, maybe I just like my family more. Um, <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I, I mean, I, I will say also I, I like them, but I also don't want to have to you know live in the same house with them. Yeah. And that's sort of the flip side problem that arises. Well, if you're not making room for them – Somewhere else in the community, by by allowing housing construction to occur, then then you know you might wind up with them living in the back room. And so. I, I just wonder, like drawing the picture of what happens in the future is like their goal is okay. Then the Prop Thirteen passes their children, the feudal lords come back. And it's just a weird. I mean, I don't know how you could look at that and say this is a functional community because it's weird. No, it, it's it's hollowing itself out, right? Yeah. I, I mean, it, it, one, one hopes that the. Prop 13 was well-intentioned and that this wasn't the intentional result at the end of the day. You know, it was obviously sold as we don't want to kick Granny out of her her Eichler in Palo Alto, right? But uh, what it's become is is completely different. Um, You know, my grandfather would would happily move out of his SFR and allow somebody else to rent it and send those kids to, to school. But there's nowhere for him to go, right? I mean, he could probably do that and make money off of it. Because it's a reasonably large property, it's a reasonably large house. But before we're right before we're on Mike, you were talking about your grandfather. He yeah. is uh, he has been in Cupertino quite a long time. Oh goodness. Okay. So so yes, I, I'm a third generation resident of this town. Um, my grandparents moved to what is now Cupertino in the early '50s, a couple of years before the city incorporated. So they were one of the the handful of people who actually got to vote to incorporate Cupertino. And there, there wasn't a, a giant software industry at that point. No, there were lots of canneries and lots of orchards and the Cali Mill and, um, <laughs> uh, you know, little quaint pastoral things. It's, it's, it was nothing really like what it is today, uh, but it was rapidly suburbanizing, let's say. 
Um, so you were you were you know seeing the production of a lot of uh, cheap single family homes. Uh, they were very affordable to you know people coming out of the war, um, and obviously folks were interested in helping vets to make a new life. Uh, we can go into all the economics of that. I'm sure you've done that in plenty of other programs, so I'm not going to waste time on it here. But, you know, they, they were able to raise a family. Um, my parents went to Cupertino schools. I went to Cupertino schools. Um, you know, they're in, a, in an interesting place, if only because, uh, you know, my, my grandfather's house used to abut one of those orchards, and, you know, there was plenty of fruit in it. Now there's a very different fruit there because it's Apple's Infinite Loop Campus, and it's right on the other side of the sound wall. <laughs> it's just a wide, like I, yeah, I don't know how many people can say their their community changed that much in their in their lifetime. There, yeah, it's, it's it's dramatic. I saw it go up too. So, um, yeah, I think the only thing that hasn't really changed in in that neighborhood in the last almost forty years is the absolutely igno- enormous magnolia tree that's in his backyard. But uh, yeah, so they've been in that in that particular household for how long? They've been there since 53. The same house. Same that's, house. That's incredible. Same house. So so as far as, you know, the Cupertino crowd and better Cupertino and such, uh, do you, as far as regionalism, as far as working, you know, with the state or with other cities in the region, uh, it's is, is there a coherent, you know, I guess, or is there a consistent message on this? Because I know I have a few things that Sharf said on record, uh, but what, what what do you hear? You mean like, uh, are they working with, with other groups elsewhere? I mean, I guess one thing is, do they treat Cupertino as just an isolated community? That's all there is to it. Or, because I mean, I, I heard uh, Steve Sharf say that he blames SF for giving tax breaks, creating you know jobs in SF, and not building the housing. And I mean, that's what well, that's ev- just passing the buck, right? I mean, that's what everyone says about Cupertino. I, I mean, I mean, yeah. With the, one of the major problems with the way that we built our suburbs in in California, in particular, and 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 in Silicon Valley especially, is that you know it's all bass backwards. We we built all of our job centers in the middle of suburbs, and, and our major cities are basically bedroom communities. Therefore, right? And- San, o- San Jose is the the only large city in the country that has a a smaller daytime population than nighttime population. It it is the bedroom community for and all these suburban office parks. You know, you check out the rush hour in the morning. They have this congestion, which is just absolutely absurd. And they have really no plan for how to accommodate this. Yep. They just like, how, how did this happen? It's like, well, maybe it's the fact that you had no <laughs> no reasonable way to accommodate this growth over decades. It should not have shocked anybody that you've painted yourself in this corner. True. <laughs> I, I, I'm not going to argue with any of those points. But yeah. um, but when it comes to to you know how is is better Cupertino acting? Elsewhere, well, I mean, they've they've collaborated with other local groups, going back really to their founding. The the Luther School issue was very very early on. That was before there was there was really a thing that you could pin as as this is better Cupertino. Sure, it was sort of a collection of different groups, and you know exactly how they were they were going to brand themselves wasn't entirely clear, and and that that name sort of settled over time, um, to the point that that there are two. You know, initial funding sources for uh, a ballot initiative and to support candidates was uh, not even branded as Better Cupertino. It was Cupertino Residents for Sensible Zoning Action, which should sound familiar to anybody who is active in Palo Alto. Yeah. Uh, you can see where the name came from. 
Um, Anything with sensible, sensible growth. I mean, you know what that means. I mean, better yeah, Cupertino. It, it, it's it's interesting because some words, you know, better. It could be slow growth. It could be actually one of the pro growth people. Oh, beautifully Orwellian, right? To dispense yeah. with the difficult bit in the name, and you solve the problem. Well, yeah. the fact liv- livable Sunnyvale is actually the pro housing group in Sunnyvale, but livable California, you know, co-founded by Mayor Scharf and Ling Chao, uh, is is part of it too. Is the most anti-growth across all of California. Yeah, except they call themselves the uh, moderate, uh, for moderate growth. Okay, right. makes sense. Uh, and yeah, they've, they've expanded from the sensible growth thing, which I don't know if that's a reaction to people understanding that, that that's what that <laughs> moniker means. Yeah. Or, or if there are just genuinely some people who, uh, you know, favor a thing called moderate growth, and then the real query is, well, what does moderate growth mean? But now the council is primarily people who are either explicitly members or very, very comfortable with Better Cupertino. And also the commissions are being filled up with Better Cupertino allies. Yes. So explain the, yeah, to what extent is this occurring? Uh, to, to what extent is, uh, are the commissions being packed? Or, yeah, sure. Uh, basically uh, out of uh, uh, you know, approximately 80% of the, the seats that uh, were open this particular uh, term were filled with people who are either uh, monetary donors to, to Better Cupertino, vocal supporters of Better Cupertino, um, or, or folks who have, have made their affiliations known in, in one way or another. The, the, the lone sort of holdout in that entire spectrum, interestingly, is, is sort of the, uh, um, the bike pet commission. And that's a, mm. uh, a sub-debate going on in, in Cupertino uh, that cuts a entirely across the, the political spectrum in a really weird way where there isn't a, a unity of, of view from the better Cupertino folks and it involves a, a bicycle uh, pedestrian loop that would connect the entire city. Um, so you get both pro-growth and anti-growth people in, in that? Yeah, it's it's very cross-sectional, but the incumbents were returned to, to office along with one um, uh, key better Cupertino figure. Uh, if you happened to watch, I believe it was their most recent, or attend their most recent uh, forum on planning. Uh, the moderator was a, a gentleman by the name of Muni Maripatla, and he was uh, uh, you know, he's one of these, these BC stalwarts. Mm. Um, and they, they put him on the bike ped commission. Now, to, to, his, to their credit and to his, he genuinely seems to like cycling, is interested in it, and he helped, you know... Um, bolster support for uh, um, some, you know, bike marathons and so forth. So he's not a, you know, a bad guy or anything like that. It's just, you know, you can see what's going on there. <laughs> I mean, I, I does does that does that make you more or less happy? Because I feel like that's in a lot of ways. I feel the people that alarm me the most are not bad people and usually don't want bad things. Well, I, I, <laughs> I don't. I don't really think that that. Any of them are, are bad people necessarily. I just I, I don't know if if they have been telling themselves a, a particular narrative for so long that that they now believe it, or it's become so much a part of their own identity that it would be destructive to them personally if the views that they hold aren't true. 
I just, right. I mean, I, I just love talking to, like, last night I was talking to the planning people, and two of them are uh, major donors to Better Cupertino, as I understand, and, you know, one says, I describe myself as a futurist, and he says, like, oh, let's talk about the ways it could change. This, this but, sounds like R. Wang. It was. Ah, okay. Uh, and, and another member says, like, oh, yeah, I, I agree, we need to, you know, accommodate more growth, we need to do it the right way, and, I mean, I feel like so many people, if they really believe that, I think it's, I they have some vision in their head, but they, they just... There's no way you're going to get to anything that they are imagining because they will always find a reason why any sort of change is just not going to be acceptable yeah, for any or, reason. Or, or it will be, you know, let's have one more meeting. One <laughs> more meeting. One more. We, we need to consider all the data. All the data. Right. I mean, and, and the fact that it's being slowed down by these lawsuits. I mean, it's pretty wild that a lot of people said that the local version of the Cupertino uh, Valco redevelopment was superior to the SB35 version, but that got sued, and now that version has pretty much no chance of being implemented, as far as I consider, because you, SB35 you, is more state protection from lawsuits. Um, so there, there's two things going on there, just to to separate them out so that they're clear. Um, you know, there's the SB35 uh, project that's already been approved on a ministerial basis by the city, pursuant to a specific state law. Um, and then there's also a separate parallel process that occurred uh, in the shadow of that application to create a specific plan for the site, which is sort of the normal city planning process. And it culminated in uh, a set of, of entitlements and a development agreement that would allow for you know, a certain scale of development and a certain number of community benefits back to the city of Cupertino that included things like additional outright money for the two school districts, um, a performing arts center inside the uh, the new development, a new city hall because we rather desperately need one. Is that uh, true? Yes. Uh, our is, our is... disaster centers inside um, uh, city hall. City hall is a dilapidated old building. Yeah. And um, if we actually, you know, if if we're overdue for the next big one, right? Okay. Well, when the next big one hits, Cupertino's not ready. Sure. Um, and and this is this is that's the negotiated kind of with Sand Hill to yeah, yeah to kind of figure, we we have this in our back pocket SB thirty five but this is the one that the city gets more goodies yeah so in you know? in an ideal world the, the general plan apart from being a you know a vaunted constitution for local land use planning is really a, an elaborate shakedown regime, right? It's, I'm going to tell you that, that there's this certain envelope of, of development that it can occur in certain places. And then we can negotiate. And if you want to do something bigger than that, then we get a, a piece of that particular new value that's been created and unlocked by us. And right? it tells you just how much pent-up demand there is that you can do all these requests and make the developer do it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I, you don't even have to take my word for it. I, I remember um, uh, Mayor Reed in in San Jose describing it in exactly these terms. Um, oddly enough, over an issue that was happening right on the border of Cupertino, where uh, um, you know, a new property owner wanted to build a, uh, a McDonald's. Great, that's that's the and and the the proto BC folks showed up in. En masse at San Jose City Council to protest the construction of a McDonald's. Now this is personal. If if you if you're nimbying affordable housing, any sort of housing, that's that's bad. But if you're if you're stopping McDonald's, I'm now upset. It, it was it was 
spectacular, especially some of the rationale. It, basically, half of the things that I remember hearing that night boiled down to um, if you build a McDonald's here, everybody will get fat. Mm. You know, kind of leaving out the important intermediary steps of I must first go into the McDonald's. I must then engage in an economic exchange whereby I present money to the teller there who is going to then put in an order, have my food made, present it to me, and I will then consume it. And I must actually do this many, many times repeatedly in order to be able to actually get to the result of being fat. I mean, it's the people who make a religion of local control. They have, it's, they do believe that you need to absolutely control your surroundings or you will be destroyed by them. And yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. It, it's a pernicious extension of the self, right? That, yeah. That my, my boundaries are far greater than just me and my four walls and, and my property line. They are, you know, the rest of town that I've decided to turn into a HOA, basically. It's worth bringing in. This is one of the more uh, extreme statements. This was made, I mean, I think it's worth saying it was made by a high schooler, which is like, okay, he's a young person. But I think it's worth saying this is the culture which the high schoolers are swimming with in Cupertino. This was protesting housing at Valco. This is the same night they had the general plan. Uh, And according to the sales pitch, the new housing units would include low-income, high-density housing apartments this means we'd have a lot of uneducated people living in Cupertino. A lot of other residents and I are concerned this would make the current residents of Cupertino uncomfortable and would split our city in half. Yeah, so that's that same sentiment that I was describing earlier about, you know, the janitor being allowed to live yeah. um, in the area. Um, and this goes so. with the fact a lot of people say, like, Mayor Sharp says, oh, yeah, we don't want market rate use, you know, housing, but we want affordable housing. I mean, you look at the record— uh, as far as hitting the targets of affordable housing, Cupertino has failed miserably. No, it hasn't. It hasn't gotten there, and 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 Stephen Scharf is part of the reason for that. He's he's fought housing generally. Yeah. For over a decade, I mean, he you can go back to 2006, which was the last time that there had been an attempt at at uh, producing housing at Valco, and at the site that is now Main Street Cupertino. Um, you know, and he was involved in in that and in a prior attempt in 2005 to. You know, create mandatory setbacks and height limits and density limits throughout the city. Um, I mean, I don't want to, you know, put motivation in people's mouths, but I feel I feel very comfortable on the record. I think someone with Mayor Sharp's record saying that he wants affordable housing and not the wrong kind of housing. I think it's clearly disingenuous. It it, it, it if your record is one of no actual advocacy, it's hard to cast yourself as an advocate. Yeah, right? yeah. Um, it, it can't just be that your advocacy is limited to, well, somebody wants to build housing. I think you should build this type of housing. Sure. Some, and some people legitimately feel it's like, I want to see a whole new housing paradigm and I'm working for it. But that's not what a lot of these people are doing. No, there's yes. there's none of that. There has never been a, a vision there. Yeah. Right. I know, I know people who are, you know, uh, have very vocal about anti-market rate, but they actually are doing the legwork to make uh, affordable housing developers get affordable housing. I'd say, you know, I think that I, I may not agree with you on everything, but I, I love the fact you're actually putting your your energy into making affordable housing happen. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's it's sort of the the you know argument that that does occur as to whether you know the, the correct solution is supply side one or if it's some other anti market mechanism. Um, or how about depopulation? <laughs> let's, not, let's not roll. Let's not roll that out. 
that's the that's a win win for everybody. <laughs> if a lot of people just that that <laughs> argument also comes up that that has now been recast as well. Let's spread the wealth around. Why do these why do these companies all have to expand here? Why can't they go locate somewhere where the housing costs are cheaper? And who is saying this? Ro Khanna, our representative in Congress, is is. And he's being retweeted by Better Cupertino yes, when yes. he's like, "Oh yeah, let's let's spread the wealth around." It's he knows how to pander to these yep. these you know NIMBY homeowners. Well, they've they they did support him in in um in his election bid in 2016. Yeah. Um. You know, I mean, it, it's in terms of it being simply a a means of you know providing real opportunity to people in places that that could benefit from it. It's not a bad thing, but if you're talking about let's just um, let's not grow in California because a bunch of you know real estate millionaires have decided that they don't want any more people living around them because it interferes with their traffic. Yeah, um, that's a different story. So you you've been talking about your your long roots here in in Cupertino, but what what brought you into going the extra mile and actually being an advocate and activist for for housing. Well, you know, it's it's two things. One, when you see all of your high school friends move away because they can't afford to come back, um, that's kind of an issue. It it, <laughs> it hits you where that your heart is, right? Um, two, I, you know, in, in all honesty, even as an attorney, I can't afford to buy in at present rates, so that's rather frustrating. It means that other people similarly situated can't either. Um, I don't. I don't. I worry about what kind of community that creates. It's certainly not the community that I grew up in. And while I expect it to change, I don't expect it to become nothing but you know, multimillionaires who then bugger off the moment that they decide that they want to cash out. So, so in your high school class, like, where did people end up going? I guess it's kind of you know, you can speak anecdotally, but you know, what, what, you know, what. If if this has not been an option, where where do people end up? There's a lot of other people who are elsewhere in California, especially uh, L.A. and San Diego. Um, a few people out in in Orange County. Some went as far afield as uh, uh, the Denver area in Colorado. Uh, most of them are, are somewhere else in California, but they trended toward SoCal. Yeah. Um, there are a few people who are are up in in San Francisco and and so forth. But at least you know. Yes, you have exorbitant housing prices in San Francisco as well, but you at least get San Francisco with it. So, I mean, that is the thing that depresses me most around here: is that what are we trying to preserve? It isn't like yeah, yeah. Isn't, when when isn't we like have Jim community Jacob. character, community character is the strip mall down Stevens Creek. Why, why, why do we care about that? I mean, I care about the businesses that are in it. That that makes some sense to me, but I I don't care about that building. Yeah, and, and when we've decided that we're going to prize the questionable aesthetics of strip malls built in the 60s and 70s over people having a dignified place to live who are working hard um, or just the fact that they ought to deserve it because they're human beings, yeah, uh, that's where I get really angry. Yeah. Um, so, it, so part of it's motivated it. <laughs> By the ridiculous arguments that I see on on Nextdoor and Facebook and and so forth, uh, and thinking these are the these are my neighbors, I feel like I ought to try to do something about it. Um, it may be a totally quixotic quest. <laughs> I mean, on one hand, I do. I, I I love the idea of having a living history of '70s strip malls somewhere, but it shouldn't be where homes are two million dollars. It, it's yes. a it's a very very weird thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, we we have talked about you know wanting a history house in in Cupertino, and usually that's about the Stockelmeyer house, which is this poor old old home that's 
falling apart. Um, maybe one another day we can talk about that. But, uh, <laughs> but you know, good second alternative. Take the old, uh, I don't know, United Furniture Building or something and turn it into one of those. <laughs> So, Cupertino for all, what what do you think the objectives are in you know the upcoming? Because I think it's interesting when a group like Better Cupertino owns an entire city, what are they going to do with it? Because I'd say the baseline is do nothing, but are they actually going to try to turn the clock back in some way? I, I don't know that they're going to be able to turn the clock back in in any reasonable way because you you know they've they've made some very bold promises about being able to somehow undo the the SB35 approvals for Valco um, of renegotiating the entire thing and creating a quote-unquote community-friendly Valco, whatever that is. Well, when they try to rezone it, could you speak as, as an attorney of saying when they try to rezone it for to stop being uh, approved for any residential and be retail only or retail in office, and that was a lot of people warned them this was would have gotten them in legal trouble. Yeah, so there is a, a scenario B in the in our housing element, but almost certainly if you tried to do this, it, you, you'd wind up attracting the attention of HCD. That seems like a bad idea when HCD is already suing Huntington Beach. Um, so... Yeah, that's its own separate problem. And, and one one lawsuit we haven't mentioned, I just want to throw it because I think it's just crazy. It's like, okay, well, the city has legal advice from the city attorney, and the city attorney has been terminated in Cupertino in the last two years, and he is he is suing the city for wrongful termination. Is that- well, he is not suing the city yet. Okay, he, he has filed an administrative claim. Okay. For wrongful termination, which is a rather difficult thing to do when you have a, an actual contract and you serve at the pleasure of the city council. So exactly whether he even has a claim is not clear. The fact that, however, that claim dropped in the middle of the election and was picked up on by uh, uh, Better Cupertino and its supporters as a reason to doubt the um, the SB 35 approvals or the propriety of the council's action um, seems a lot more interesting. Frankly, it looks more like you know an undisclosed campaign contribution than it does like an actual case. Um, he has you know a period of time to actually file suit, but there is no there is no lawsuit in the court's docket at present. Yeah, I mean, I just feel a lot of people like me don't have any you know real legal knowledge. But what is the takeaway? A person who is not a lawyer, what should a person know if they want to kind of know what's up in Cupertino with all the different lawsuits, the different things being charged against, you know, the SB 35, the original plan to change zoning, et cetera. That we are treading in brand new territory. Um, I mean, are they a trailblazer in what a city can do? Yeah, to- in, in, in all the wrong ways, right? It's not it's not a normal thing for your, your you know, the members of your city council to be suing the city. Uh, <laughs> do you believe that the uh, state courts will not treat this, you know, like, what do you think their success will be as they move up into different levels of the court system? Well, it depends on the case, right? Because every case is going to be examined on the basis of its its merits or relative lack thereof. Um, And it's going to depend upon what the, you know, not just the facts on the ground, but what the appropriate standard of review is. I mean, the standard of review in some instances is uh, very deferential to actions that are taken by um, a municipality. In other instances, they will be looked at with fresh eyes. Yeah. So um, a lot of it will, will really hinge on on how individual judges view that and what sort of standard of, of review they, they choose to employ. 
So it's, there's a lot of unknowns as far as how things will go. With there this. are lots of unknowns. Um, I mean, I, I, I think at least as far as, as the SB35 lawsuit is concerned, that one is – I mean, we can go through them one by one so that I can – I, I think we're, we're, we're getting towards the end of the program. Let's, let's not. But, <laughs> Wonderful but, offer. But. But, that, but that one specifically, since it's probably the one that, that you know, provokes the most interest, you know, we're, we're talking about a, a suit brought that – relies on some rather interesting allegations, some of which don't seem to be particularly relevant. Um, you know, to give you some idea in, in the initial um, brief in support of, of this this writ, there's only six actual case law citations. Mm. Um, that's peculiar. I realize that well, it's a more noble number. A more noble number would be something like, you know, 20 to 30. Sure. Um, six is really pretty bare. And having read the cases in question, they're sort of tangential. Now, I will admit that SB 35 is new law, so there's not going to be a whole lot of case law that directly interprets it, but it, it pulls on a whole bunch of, of other existing statutory schemes that, that do have case law. Sure. Um, and there's a, a whole gigantic body of case law that interprets you know standards of review and so forth, and there's just none of that in in this this pleading. So it, it's not the most convincing set of arguments just because of the way that it's been been constructed. Some of it seems to be heavily reliant on emotional facts. Um, and usually, you know, one of the sayings that, that, that you know, you're, is ingrained into you in, in both practice and in law school is that if, uh, if the facts are not on your side, then argue the law. And if the law isn't on your side, then argue the facts. They seem to be arguing the facts. So a question, I guess, for Cupertino for All, what, what kind of real action is it going to be doing, I think, to make its case that Cupertino should make itself available for all? And I guess you know, part B is, you know, as a, as a lawyer, do you have any special role for that to help out the cause? I, I think that well, there are a few things that we definitely want to do. One of them is, is simple education. It's the walk around, go door to door, find out who your neighbors are, what they really think, and, and whether the information that they've got is accurate. Sometimes people change their minds because they've been operating off of the wrong set of facts. Yeah. Um, and, and they just have to, to have those facts presented to them by someone that they, they view as either on their side or is one of them, um, or at least anyway, doesn't have some other ulterior motive. Right. So if, if somebody knocks on your door and is from a union or is from the Chamber of Commerce or is employed directly by a developer to, to come and say hello to you, it simply doesn't have the same resonance as mm. your actual neighbor saying, hi, my name is so-and-so and I want to talk to you about this crazy thing. It's worth mentioning like how few normal people, like of the night of the biggest Falco hearing, I was at Cupertino City Council, everyone inside is just... You know, either they're mad one way or the other inside. <laughs> I, I, I'm walking outside and I ran into a random guy just passing by. He's like, oh, "What's happening in there?" It's like, "Oh, they're talking about putting housing in Valco." It's like, "Oh, that sounds like a good idea." And just like it's like, and like it's like that's normal people don't freak out in weird ways like <laughs> these people do. Yeah, you know, I think that most, you know, one one of the generalized problems with local government overall is what you see in democracy writ large, that we tend to weigh in on the things that we think have the biggest impact or that are the most important, right? So you see a higher voter participation rate, for example, in, in a presidential election year, um, a, a reduced one in uh, a gubernatorial election year. 
And then if you go and look at the actual ballots, there are plenty of people who will mark the things at the top of the ticket but don't necessarily mark the stuff that's toward the bottom. And that can be out of frustration. God, this ballot's gigantic. It takes a I lot can't. of time to vote well. Exactly, exactly. And if you if you regard it the same way that you do, and I think I think most conscientious voters probably do, that they, they look at that that ballot like a, a Scantron test card, right? That they have to <laughs> fill out everything <laughs> yeah. in order to score well on it or they're not a good citizen. Um, but there are plenty of people who give up after a certain point and they feel like I've, I've done what I can. Or um, in you know, consistent with being conscientious, they'll think I, I really don't know. So I'm not going to weigh in. You know, and you get to you know, invariably the, the council races at the bottom. So you don't necessarily think to, to look at it. And, and you know, if you read all of the, the personal statements that are made by the individual candidates, they can seem rather samey. Or you can see like who spent the most money in yard size in your area. That makes yeah. a big difference. Who and which ones are the prettiest? Yeah, that 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 also happens. Although there's not a lot of good uh, data on what the effect of lawn signs is. Interesting, right? Um, they they may be more of a a, a symptom. I would say for for I would I would be very curious to know about the national races versus local races. For the national races, of course, you know who Donald Trump is. For the local race. Uh, a lot of times, it's the only time people know these people's names. Yeah. They realize, oh yeah, yeah, this guy must be great. It's he's on everybody's lawn. Yeah, and a lot of people will will vote either on the basis of I saw more of this sign or I I've seen that name before. Right, yeah. so it's pure name recognition. It could be this name sounds like mine, so I'll vote for it. Yeah. Um, it, you know, it, it there there could be any number of things that are there. It, it, What's happening at the top of the ticket can also infect what goes on down the, the, the bottom, right? So if you're if there's a, just a generally anti-incumbent sentiment out there, you want to vote against the man, then yeah, you, you vote against all the incumbents, right? Yeah. And you vote for the supposed change candidates. It's, it's interesting when people, like, they're not in incredible form, but it starts to permeate. Uh, one coworker, I mean, actually, I live in Sunnyvale and work in Sunnyvale, came up to me and says, like, oh, yeah, you're, you know, you, you follow the housing stuff. Tell me what's going on with the corruption in, in Cupertino. Because I'm hearing a lot of stuff about corruption in city council. And he meant that it was corruption by, like, developers uh, buying everyone off. Oh, well, so... What, what's, 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 what is the right response when someone asks you about that? I would say if, if there was a lot of corruption with developers in Cupertino, then you would see a lot of more pro-development-oriented policy occurring in Cupertino, and you're not seeing that. So just the evidence <laughs> on the ground probably indicates that that's not true. Um... But if you, you know, in, in terms of, of why someone might be hearing that, well, that's the public narrative that Better Cupertino has been pushing for a long time. That yeah. There's an enormous amount of corruption between, you know, development interests and city council members. A lot of what you're seeing, if you, you know, go into the weeds, is just normal lobbying activity. It's, I have a plot of land. I want to do something different with it than what the general plan or the zoning code allows me to do. What would you support changing this to? Because yeah. I have these different things that I could do. Yeah. I mean, I think in a lot of ways, it's it's a question. A developer is a businessman in other ways. I mean, I know Sand Hill was at these meetings, and I know the person doing it. It's like, do I, do I really care if Sand Hill makes a lot of money? I don't. But, you know, if their business is creating housing, it's like... <laughs> there's worse ways to make a living. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I mean, I guess the thing that I find most offensive about the whole corruption narrative is that the process that they're basically going through is not a whole lot different from somebody who just wants to build a second story on that that house that they purchased. You know, yeah. that 
that 1950s knocker downer that is going for over $2 million. Well, the person who's got the money to, to pony up on that has probably got the money to remove that home and build the thing that he or she wants, right? Yeah. Um, and, and it may be that you need a variance. So, you know, you're going to try to find out what you need to do in order to get that to it's happen. It's all business. Yeah. So uh, as far as we're wrapping up here, uh, what, what gives you optimism of, of what's going on in Cupertino? And what, what do you see as, you know, kind of your optimistic uh, view of, of what, what could happen here? Well, I, I do think that, unfortunately, much like the 2016 election on the national scale woke people up to, you know, you got to participate and votes have consequences. <laughs> um, and maybe you don't want to live with those consequences. So you, you need to do something more active than, than just showing up at the polls. Or complaining, yeah. Um, and so there are quite a lot of people who've, who've reached out to me, who've reached out to friends, who were involved in the the last two campaigns to try to, to get better results. And so it's it's heartening to see that people are now willing to get out there and do the hard work to to get people to change their minds, yeah. Um, or at least get the folks who who've been marginally involved to at least consider this point of view. Um, and that that's a really positive sign because it wasn't the case for a long while. For a long while, it was, you know, just say no to Condottino. Yeah. And, and, you know, whatever snappy slogan you could come up with to defeat housing there was the thing that was going to win the day. Scream about the impact on the schools. It was, that was the boring business as usual and nothing came of it. Now it's a bit more of a of a freak show, but I mean, actually, it yeah. seems like a lot more is possible. Yeah, things I mean, are weird. I mean, if I if I can say thank you to Better Cupertino for anything, at least people are very involved. <laughs> sure, right? Um, I mean, we had an incredible voter participation rate in in this last election. I, it's really quite shocking. Any of the numbers that were put up by any of the candidates, with the exception of Tim Gorsolovsky, were would have gotten you a seat in a normal election cycle. Hmm. Um, wow. So it's really quite impressive. Um, it's also, unfortunately, still far from from terribly conclusive because even if you put together the the winners and the number of votes that they got, you still don't get past fifty percent. Now maybe that's just an indictment of the way that we handle at large voting in a general law city. Sure, but <laughs> but um, you know when they go off and try to claim that a majority of voters supports their position, well, the the, the empirical evidence does not support that view because that that's not what happened in the election. Yeah, that's fascinating. So you say there's also uh, some other good stuff that uh, Cupertino for All is, is working on. Well, what other stuff you, you got up the pipe? Yeah, so the, the education um, program would go beyond just, you know, walking door to door. It's it's canvassing in front of the library and, and things of that nature. It's uh, um, building a web presence that allows us to actually project what the real facts are on the ground so that it's not just better Cupertino speaking. You know, if only one side of, a, of an issue is talking, well, it should be no surprise that people would believe that set of facts instead. Uh, you know, the other would be to individuate the people who can uh, run a successful campaign for a council uh, uh, seat in the future because, you know, 2020 is not that far away. <laughs> yeah. Uh, as we're all painfully aware from, from current coverage of people announcing their candidacy for president. Are there other people who are uh, possibly uh, ready for, for such a task? Well, there certainly are. Uh, and But it's also worth, you know, seeing who the full spectrum of folks might be because, you know, while uh, we sit with this particular set of facts today, we, we can't know exactly what things will look like in, say, June of 
2020 when people are getting ready to pull papers and, and you want to make sure that you have the right candidates at the right time. Um, you know, and, and then it's sort of the other run-of-the-mill stuff. It's showing up at council meetings and saying, hey, you know, we're still here. Um, and like I said, you lot didn't exactly get a majority in this last election. You yeah. may have more council seats, but you, you still don't have a majority of support. So um, if you're going to make good on the pledge of trying to listen to everybody, then, well, we need to tell you what, what it is that we think. So um, it's rallying support to, to have people show up at, at uh, council meetings um, and making certain that, that people feel comfortable expressing their voice because that, that can be difficult, especially in Cupertino, where sometimes the council members ask you questions, which That's d- what, doesn't all, happen anywhere else. It's very weird. And I also I'll say it's kind of cool if it's a normal council dine. This happens. I, I've enjoyed actually. Oh, wait, wait, you actually want to hear from me? You have a yeah. question for me? But I'll say this. The night that Valco went well past midnight and they're spending forever asking questions, please don't do that. Yeah. It, it's, that, was, that was excruciating. When, when the questions cease to be about substantive democracy and trying to get to a better result and become nothing but political theater and, and the attempt to delegitimize the position of the person who is speaking to you, yeah. then we've, we've left the realm of what is appropriate. Sure. Um, and, and then also just because Better Cupertino will show up and, and heckle folks, it's, it's about giving them some support so that they feel like you know, they can show up and, and speak and um, run that particular gauntlet. Sure. Well, good luck with all that stuff. And uh, yeah, th- thank you so much for uh, being here today in the program. Thank you for having me. You've been listening to Henry George Program. Today in the program, J.R. Fruin of Cupertino for All. You can find this and all previous episodes of the Henry George Program on the website, seethecat.org. Also, places to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher. And if you want to leave a review, people say that helps you find the show. I don't know if that's true, but you can. It's nice to do. Uh, this is a presentation of KCSU, Stanford 